It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah Health. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Let's talk about Utah's academic success uh, that, that's that been going on here for a while. Uh, so this week, Utah has had some great news come about on the academic front. Uh, they uh, were top of their class in, in the NCAA APR score. Um, this score looks at eligibility, retention, and graduation of all student athletes on scholarship and provides a measure of each team's academic performance. Utah once again rated high uh, in both the single-year and multi-year pro- academic progress report, or APR, uh, that was released for Division I schools. So uh, with that being said... Uh, Let's take a look here. So men's skiing, women's soccer, women's swimming and diving and beach volleyball all earned perfect multi-year marks of 1,000. While women's basketball, cross-country, men's golf, gymnastics, women's skiing, men's soccer, or sorry, men's skiing, soccer, women's swimming and diving, men's tennis, women's tennis and track and field, uh, and beach volleyball earned perfect 1,000 single-year scores for the 2021-22 report. And while football did not earn a perfect score, they were at a .988, which is just below a perfect score, uh, in both single-year and multi-year APR reports. And this was while chasing down their second Pac-12 title. Um Utah football's multi-year score ranks number one amongst Pac-12 football programs and tops all Division I football programs in the state of Utah. So very, very well done on that front. Uh, Utah also had the honors of um, uh, getting top marks in the Pac-12's academic honor roll. Uh, They had 110 winter academic honor roll honorees that held for men's and women's basketball, gymnastics, skiing, men's and women's swimming and diving, and indoor track and field. Um, And all these athletes... Hey, uh, it sounds like we have Jake on the line again. Hey, Jake, what's going on, man? Not too much, Michelle. How are you? Oh, you know, just getting the Saturday rolling. Uh, I before before I start asking you questions about mm-hmm. BYU and Utah's academic success, uh, what's been the highlight of your week? Highlight of my week this week. I uh, actually about to come up. I've got a busy day of being Mr. Dad, watching kids participate in both sports that they're in. So, yes, it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to be happening here in the next little bit. That's why I'm actually not there with you today. We love to hear that, uh, and good luck to the kiddos today in their their 
endeavors that, that they're going through. That Thank That's you. always so fun. Uh, so, I mean, right now I was kind of going through Utah's uh, recent academic successes, the, you know, their graduation rates. Uh, I So often in sports, we talk about, you know, just the sport end of it. But when we're talking about college sports, high school sports, the academics mean a lot too. Uh, you know, in your mind, when a school sees academic success the way that Utah has recently, you know, what, what does that mean and, and why is that a good thing? Well, the biggest thing, excuse me, is that they're putting the resources in there as well. That's the thing about this. We we hear all the time about investing in the football program and building new stadiums and locker rooms and football facilities. Well, guess what? What are their kid? What are the kids there for ostensibly to get an education? So when you see programs that like you mentioned like Utah having success academically, and I think it stands out. I think I saw Utah State had a pretty good year with the APR scores. I'm sure, I don't I haven't seen BYU's release yet, so I'm assuming they've done pretty decently as well. But across the board. You have to invest in that as well. You're, you're trying to make well-rounded young men and young women especially. So if you're only going to invest in the sports side of it, you're going to lack on the academic side. But to Utah's credit, they've invested on both ends. And Utah has a couple of stats where they rank second in the entire Pac-12 conference. I, and again, this is pretty impressive considering, A, Utah is still technically the newcomer in the conference. B, this is a conference that puts a lot of stock in their academics. And C, the number one team, as far as academics go, is Stanford. So you're just below Stanford. Uh, You know, I mean, we're talking about a school that started out as, you know, a Mountain West level school, I believe just R1 research. Uh, what, What have you seen as far as the work that they've done over the the last decade plus uh, to kind of put themselves in a position to be a high achieving academic school as well as a high achieving uh, sports school. Well, the other, this one thing you mentioned the fact that they started out they were R one in the Mountain West era, but when they got into the Pac twelve, the Pac twelve they're all universities that are have that AAU designation, which is like essentially the top tier of academics in terms of university status across the country and. That's a credit to Utah because like we've talked about, they've invested in a lot of different arenas, obviously, both literally and uh, metaphorically. But the nice part is, is when it comes to the academics here, they got the affiliation with the Pac-12 with some of these elite universities. You mentioned Stanford. And really none of the universities in the Pac-12 are, I guess, substandard. They're all pretty elite research universities. So the nice part is they've been they've had the investment come in on that side and they're also benefiting from it because the research dollars that come with the designation of being an AAU school it opens up millions upon millions of dollars and Utah has been benefiting from that. Uh, And this is kind of a point that I want to make uh, is Mm -hmm. you know we're talking about all this conference realignment and we'll talk about this a little bit later on in the show but I, I think a lot of people miss why this means a lot to Utah, why this means a lot to the Pac-12. It doesn't necessarily mean a lot to every conference in every school. Um, yeah. But but this is a case where the academics really do mean something. Uh, and, and I think, you know, they're, they're, when you kind of look at what's going on right now, there's a reason why Utah is highlighting their academic success every bit as much as they are their athletic 
success. In your mind, you know, where where does this potentially lead and why is it important for schools like Utah to not only celebrate, you know, being good on the field, but also being great in the classroom? Well, I think I think it just it highlights the individuals who are who are working hard because I kind of go back to my original point is that you're trying to create young men and young women who kind of can go out and make an imprint in the world. There's a lot of them that will play professional sports, especially in the football side of things, and some on the basketball side. But you hear the NCAA ad all the time. Not all of us are going pro in sports. Well, guess what? They're going to go pro in other arenas. And the nice part is Utah, even before they joined the Pac-12, Michelle, you know this even maybe better than I do. This is a school that has had really elite academics and some, like in terms of the individuals who have come through there. Mario Capecci, I can think of just different names that have streets named after them up there in that research park area of people that have come through that university, have made their imprint both in academia and just on the university level. And that's the, that's the nice part is that you can be known for more than just sports. And that, that, there's something to be said about that. I think in some ways, Jake Scott makes this point often. We have lost sight in some ways of the academic side of things when it comes to the arms race we're seeing in college sports overall. But there is still a very, uh, a very important part that comes with the academic side of it. And to Utah's credit, I don't think they necessarily lost sight of that. The nice part is that they've continued to, as you mentioned, invest in it, help these uh, students, uh, whether they're planning on uh, doing something on the academic side of things, they want to go pro in sports, they're still getting an elite education, and that's going to benefit them for years to come. Yeah. Uh, uh, just this past Thursday, Utah Athletics graduated 109 student athletes from all 20 of their sports. These are right. students that were earning their either undergraduate or graduate degrees, um, and they were part of the University of Utah's biggest graduating class in its entire history, 8,723 8, students receiving degrees Thursday, Friday. So, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, it's awesome to see our schools continue to reach new heights, both on the playing field and in academia, uh, because mm-hmm. to, to be perfectly honest, uh, the sports wouldn't matter if there wasn't a school to go to. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's a fair point. Like, you don't have the school. How can you have the college sports, right? Uh, y- you can't. Uh, at that point, then it's like a semi-pro deal, which I guess, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Some are arguing maybe that's where we're <laughs> Heading next, uh, that the college part of it's not going to matter anymore and be removed. Who knows? Uh, I want to shift gears, though, because BYU's had some interesting things going on as of late. Mm-hmm. Uh, you take a look at some of the transfer portal action about I, I'm kind of losing track of time here. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, you have Lauren Gustin enter the transfer portal only to jump back out, I don't know, maybe a handful of days later. And then this past week, we had Cody Epps enter the mm-hmm. the transfer portal and do very much the same thing. A day or two being in the portal, he jumps back out, returns to BYU. First of all, what do you make of these moves? Uh, what 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 kind of happened there? Oh, I, I honestly, I think both of them are in a similar circumstance. Both of them are athletes that wanted to explore the NIL space a little further, see what other opportunities might be out there. And as you mentioned, Lauren Gustin is, is like, I think that you're right. Two weeks ago, she decided to do that. And she spent about two days in the portal before announcing that she was going to come back. Cody Epps was about a three-day window of where he was looking at it. 
the, the, the bigger fur obviously came for Cody Epps because he entered the portal just hours before it, it closed for football players. We all know it was open from the 15th to the 30th, and he went in on the 30th. And there were some people out there who thought that he had gotten a, a, a sweet NIL deal that they told him that it was contingent on him getting into the portal. Everything that I understand about both situations was that both of these athletes just simply wanted to kind of look at the marketplace, so to say, see what opportunities were out there. And then after they evaluated that, uh, they felt like BYU was still their best option to, to stay put, and they both decided to return to Provo. What do you feel like that says about the situation at BYU? One, that they would look look elsewhere, uh, and two, mm-hmm. that, that they would ultimately decide that that was still the best place for them. I think that it's it's both good and bad. The, the 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 good news is that BYU has their collective, the Royal Blue Collective. Utah has theirs now. It's called the Crimson Collective. These collectives are going to be very very important for athletes like this. These are high level athletes. Lauren Gustin probably could have picked any number of schools she could have gone and played for this year. Uh, the way I understand it, though, that BYU's collective stepped up to make sure that she was taken care of NIL wise, giving her those opportunities to make money off her name, image, and likeness. A similar circumstance to Cody Epps, but. I think the the negative is that they feel like they need to go out and look in the first place uh, to to find, I guess, ultimately what they're looking for. And BYU, I think, would like to keep that from happening going forward. But I think as these collectives start to really get revved up, because I think the Royal Blue and Crimson Collectives, both the University of Utah as well as BYU, they're relatively new. They're not necessarily as well established as some of the other collectives around the country that jumped up seemingly overnight. But as they start to grow a little bit here, get more and more of alumni involved in those collectives, I think you'll see less and less of the situation that's played out, as you mentioned, with both Lauren Gustin and Cody Epps and Provo. That brings up an interesting point. Uh, the state of Utah as a whole, mm-hmm. I feel like we kind of get hit with a, we're kind of cheap. <laughs> we're, 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 sure. We kind of hang on to our money. Uh, we're not maybe perhaps the most forward flowing with our money do you think there's a chance and an opportunity for utah's collective byu's collective to to have the kind of firepower it might need in order to keep the athletes the best athletes that we get here from going elsewhere i do think there is the opportunity to do that the one thing about utah you mentioned there's a there's a i guess a a point out there that yeah utahns are notoriously cheap as you mentioned but the thing about this is i think as you start to see these collective uh, start rolling and i think there are people who may be reticent to invest in collectives right now or give more money to the collective because they're just kind of wait there is a waiting process here to see ultimately what the impact is going to be of that if these collectives can go out and show kind of a track record of helping these student athletes benefit from their name, image, and likeness. I know that the Crimson and uh, uh, Royal Blue Collectives, both universities, have endeavored to make it more than just NIL, though, Michelle. You you know this as well as I do. They're offering mentorship programs. I know BYU's mentioned they want to have mental health services as part of theirs. I'm sure the Crimson Collectives have something similar set up with it. They're trying to give all of the opportunities and benefits to these student athletes. But it's going to, like I said, it's going to take some time for the, I guess, the results to speak for themselves. But I think as you start to see the the gears turning a little bit, I think you'll see more and more people say, okay, okay, I see where this is going. I'm willing to invest in it. And that's ultimately going to be what it takes. It's going to take investment from multiple individuals, if not hundreds, to get BYU and Utah to where they can compete nationally. But I'm of the opinion that they can get there. It's just going to take a little bit of time. How important do you think it was for both of those collectives to 
not just make it about handing out money that that there's a little a little more to them than simply hey here's your bag you know sure. pat pat on the back now go do your thing <laughs> yeah well that's the thing there are collectives that are absolutely doing exactly what you're describing i think that, uh, to both universities credit both BYU and Utah I think both universities, because these are, these are the officially endorsed collectives of the universities, so the universities can't have direct involvement with them, but mm-hmm. they can endorse them. And for these schools to have endorsed both of these, I think the schools essentially said, okay, here is what we want this to be about. We want it to be about more than NIL. So to both university leadership, uh, I guess their leadership groups, credits, they should deserve a lot of the, the push to be like, you know what? We don't want this simply to be you guys handing out bags of money to these athletes and saying, hey, get out there and go play. We want it to be more than that. We, we, we want it to supplement what they're already getting with their education, the opportunities on the football field or whatever playing surface they happen to be playing on, giving them a more well-rounded opportunity to be benefited by, as I've mentioned, some mental health services, mentorship, job training opportunities. That's the stuff that these universities, I think, they had the foresight to say, you know what, we can do more than yeah, simply just hand out money. How, from BYU's perspective, because I, I think Utah is just in a little bit of a different place than BYU at the moment, and that's yeah. not to say that it won't change, but uh, from BYU's perspective, how often do you think they're going to see players test the waters and then, you know, maybe maybe you lose some, maybe they continue to decide to come back before that's not even really a thing? Uh, so I had a conversation with a buddy of mine who's actually not he, – he's not a fan of any of the universities here. He's actually from out of state. We were having a conversation about this, and the school that he happens to root for, he said that since their collective got set up, it, it's actually been – it's been essentially every transfer portal cycle. He, t- he said at least one athlete has done this, and I, I'm not surprised by that. I honestly think this is going to be uh, – a once a transporter once a year type thing potentially for the universities but maybe i'm thinking a little too cynically about that i just i think these student athletes they realize that they have the power to go out and make things happen and the way they do that is obviously use the transfer portal as leverage for them to leverage whatever they can get nil wise people talk about this being free agency in many ways it is it is that your rights go to the to the highest bidder and that's what's happening right now so do I think that it's going to completely go away? Not necessarily, but I do think that as you get, like as I mentioned, those collectives up and running where these collectives are offering the benefits to these student-athletes, maybe they become uh, more of the more no, not notoriety, but they become more of the well-known type variety where they're offering more than just money, even though money is a big component of this. I think you could slow it down a little bit, but I don't think you're ultimately ever going to completely eliminate it, either Utah or BYU. Yeah, uh, I I mean, yeah, you're you're gonna see someone, at least someone, yeah, on one or or perhaps both sides even, uh, maybe think that they they can find some higher value elsewhere, um, whether or not they actually get lost in, in that shuffle or not, uh, who knows? Uh, it hasn't happened yet. I'm sure it eventually will, um, to someone somewhere some way. And uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. Uh, I Looking at these two players, and this is maybe not a fair question, so maybe I need to kind of bolster this a little bit differently. But who who do you think would have been the bigger loss for, for their team? Or 
why I think actually the better way to ask this, because I think they both mm-hmm. in their own right would have been a very big loss. What what does both of them returning mean for both of their teams? So for, for women's basketball, for the Lauren Gustin situation alone, she would have, if you want to, in terms of sheer impact, I think she would have had the bigger impact because she is such a great rebounder and has the ability to really help BYU get extra possessions and is just kind of as a leader in that basketball program. Amber Whiting is a second-year head coach who's trying to kind of establish a new culture. And to have somebody like Lauren Gustin there who is she's been through these quote-unquote battles time and time again, she can point to some of these younger teammates and say, okay, here's what you need to do or here's how you need to respond to this situation. So, honestly, I think Lauren Gustin probably would have the bigger impact now in terms of the overall uh, fan interest level. Cody Epps leaving the program absolutely drew the ire of Cougar fans because they were like, what in the world's going on here? But the thing about this is, is, is some will point out to you, Cody Epps has been at BYU for three years and has played a grand total of eight games in the show. He played eight games last year. In three years of BYU, he's played a total of eight games. Now, in those eight games, he was absolutely phenomenal and looked like an emerging star for the BYU football program at wide receiver. But they've got to obviously make sure these student-athletes are taken care of. But I think that they're going to be given the opportunity to go out and make an imprint. I have no reason to think that Cody Epps won't be one of BYU's top three receivers, maybe even the best receiver on their roster this year, stats-wise. And Lauren Gustin, she set a program record for rebounds last year and was, I think, 10 or 12 rebounds away from setting the national single-season rebounding record. There's no reason to think she can't go for that record once again this year. Okay. Well, Jake, I appreciate your time. Before you go, though, tell everybody Mm -hmm. what your kiddos are up to today. So I've got my daughter as a cheerleader. She absolutely loves it. So she's got a cheer competition. Obviously, we'll be going out and rooting for her on that side of it. And then my son... Uh, decided he wanted to play some flag football, so we're out to. We're, he's actually first up. We're heading over to the to the park here by us out here in Saratoga Springs, watching him. He plays for the Raiders. Funny enough, that's the team he was drafted to. But he has got a flag football game, and we're going to go out and see how it goes. Well, good luck to you and the baby hatches, uh, and uh, we'll see you next week. Okay, thanks, Michelle. Talk to you soon. All right, sounds good, Jake. All right, there you have it, Jake Hatch talking a little bit about Utah's academic success and some of the craziness going on in the transfer portal with BYU. We have to take a quick break. Up next, we will look into some Utah jazz news. You are listening to The Saturday Show on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back at it on the Saturday show. I am Michelle Bodkin. Jake Hatch is not here today, though we did have a lovely phone conversation in the last segment about what's going on with BYU and Utah uh, as far as graduation and transfer portal. Now we are turning our attention to the Utah Jazz. There's a couple of things that have been going on this week that have kind of been, you know, fun and interesting to look at. First of all, Vivint Arena no more. Uh, we're 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 taking down the Vivint, and we are once again going back to the Delta Center. It feels so good. It just feels so good. It feels so right, Shay. 
Yeah, definitely. It's it's strange. How long has it been, the Vivint Arena? Ooh. I'm trying to remember when it changed from Energy Solutions to the Vivint. Uh, but it's it's been the Vivint for a while. It's been the Viv for a while. Uh, it's I, It's been about 30 years since it's been the Delta Center. Well, probably a little more than that. Uh, <laughs> wow, time flies. Uh, and I just aged myself. That's fine. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. Uh, but, it, but it's going to be fun. It's fun for some of us older people <laughs> that uh, we're going back to the Delta Center, which is what the building was originally called. Uh, and I guess we'll, we'll be keeping our eyes out for, for when those letters start to come up. The other interesting thing that's kind of been going on, uh, you know, we're, we're getting into trade season, um, trade rumors, and uh, if you believe a report from The Athletic, it looks like the Utah Jazz, among many others, are interested in the services of Dallas Maverick Luka Donichich. Um, so... You know, it's uh, the one thing that what I'm kind of reading up on on this situation that maybe makes it a little more, I don't know, little, a, a little more in the Utah Jazz's favor, perhaps over everybody else's, if if a move is to be made for Luka, um, is the trade moves that the Utah Jazz have already made with Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and of course... Russell Westbrook as well. Um, it gives them nine future first-round draft picks over the next six years. Could that be lucrative enough to Mark Cuban? Who's to say? Um, it seems to be a situation that people are keeping their eyes on. Um, we did have an interview this week with Tim Lacombe uh, that uh, kind of goes over some of this stuff and, and what to look for on the Utah Jazz front. Let's talk a little coaching change uh, going across, along across the NBA, including the big one yesterday, Mike Budenholzer, out in Milwaukee. Did that surprise you after what happened in the first round? Yeah, it's, well, I'm, you know, I was surprised they lost, but talk about a short leash, you know. Um, he just won a championship a couple of years ago and uh, had the best record in the league. and So I don't know. I mean, there must be some, some more to this. Because from the outside looking in, um, the it, you know again not a whole lot of leash for a guy who took you someplace you'd only been one other time and been a long time ago. Yeah, man. Thanks for nothing, Coach Bud. Have a have a good one. You know that's what coaching is. It really is a uh, you better you better win. You know you just better win. There be should be no there's no excuse for losing. There's no uh, nowhere to hide and. You just don't get to make the decision. Somebody else does. So it is, it's a beast, man. If, if you're a young person out there considering coaching, choose another avenue. Yeah. Come see me, come see me at Spirion and we'll help you. I wonder if, if this is part of it, and I don't know if this is a question as much as a comment for you, uh, Coach, but maybe the most obvious example of what I'm talking about is uh, Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones. So you have an incredible amount of success, and all of a sudden you get into a purse fight over – who gets the credit, right? And that that leads to some interesting like relationship dynamics, like right? some relationship changes and things. And I I would be really curious at what the internal politics with the Bucks are right now. I guess is my point. 
Yeah, that's that's my thought too, Jake. I thought the same thing. Is there is there's a faction or, or there's a story there, right? Yeah. It's way more than just losing in the first round. So let me ask you this then: when you look around the NBA, if it's not just winning, what what do you view as a good coach and who's a good coach? Like, how can you tell that there's a good coach out there? Um, you know, I, it was a, it was interesting because going into the end, you know, from the college game and being really familiar with coaches and then coming in and watching the NBA, you know, I think it's, it's a team that's got an identity. Um, you know, I think uh, Memphis, you know, up until the implosion this year, um, really went on a track and um, – Remind me, I know his first name's Taylor. I can't remember his last name at Memphis. Taylor Jenkins. Taylor Jenkins. Uh, a, f- a former Popovich guy, you know, aligned to Quinn. But I've always been really impressed with his teams. His teams stand out to me as a team that they share the ball, play really hard. Um, you know, the Dylan Brooks thing got away from him. And it's crazy. But that That is the other part of coaching that is so difficult is, is – you cannot control all the variables. You know, you, you can try to keep the most important variables tracking toward the goal, but there are outliers, much like Dylan Brooks just popping off and saying LeBron James is old. You know, um, we had a guy, we went to St. Mary's, and we were poised, feeling like we were going to win the game, and Nick Emery got down there. I love Nick to death, but, you know, he takes his camera out and films the gym and says, literally a high school gym. Um, you know, it makes – everybody's you know everybody picks it up on twitter and goes crazy and we go into that literal high school gym and get demolished because of the emotion you know it's just you can't control all the variables so i I do like taylor jenkins i think he is a guy who uh, whose teams play really well i I also you know it it goes without saying i mean steve kerr's done an amazing job He's, he's so outside the box he trusts his guys so much um you know i think steph in large part of Steph because of the ability to play for Kerr. Uh, much like Jimmer, I talk about all the time, was that way with Dave Rose. So um, you can see bits and pieces, but I would say most coaches in the NBA have a real good idea what they're doing. It's just about getting traction. Who's the best team left uh, in the playoffs? Hmm. Um, well, you know, Denver's playing about as good as anybody, but Jake and I – you. We were down on Denver, man. And I know, but they're playing you know, way tougher. I didn't know that they were capable of that. That's kind of what's throwing me off. Well, about but Denver. I also, I mean, Phoenix is not, you know, and I listened a little bit this morning. Locke was on with the, the morning guys. And he made the point that Phoenix just doesn't have shooters in every spot, and that really hurts them because the mid-range is not as attainable. You know, everybody kind of sag and sink to that mid-range. If you don't have shooters out there that can stretch that, that really hurts them. So, um you know, I'm still looking at it right now. I'd say the Warriors, until the Warriors get beat, they won it last year. Um, in the East, I would say the Celtics, you know, I think have have probably um, have it going. That You know, wish Malcolm Brogdon could have that pass back, reminding me of uh, the Georgetown, North Carolina in 82 when I was a kid. Um, Sleepy Floyd threw it to the wrong guy for a dunk the other way. I think it was James Worthy. Um but I think I think Boston is is the best team in the East, um, and I think they're a tough matchup for Philly, particularly with them being a little scalded, a little beat up. What do you make of Chris Paul going forward? 
Well, I think he's at that time. I mean, he, the last couple of years he's been phenomenal, right? But um, I think you got to start looking at the mileage and the tread. Uh, certainly a guy that can help somebody, but I don't know to the extent that he has in the past. And, you know, I don't know that State Farm is going to be wanting to lead with him because I don't know that he's going to play that huge role, you know. But still really, really talented. We know he's headstrong and does not like to be told no. So he'll fight like crazy. But I, I just think there's a lot of water under that bridge. Yeah. What is it? Father Time is undefeated? undefeated. Yep. Yeah, beast. I mean – I'm I'm feeling it, man. It's hard. It's hard just being not an athlete, just getting up out of a chair at 52. Uh, the uh, Ben's been asking this question, so I'm going to steal it and and ask you the first round series between the Cavs and the Knicks. Did that outcome say more about the Knicks, or did it say more about the Cavs? I think it said more about the Cavs um, because the Cavs were really kind of rolling all year long and. We all know the playoffs get different. Um, Cleveland kind of looked like one of those really good regular season teams, a.k.a. maybe the Jazz of the last couple of years that just don't have what it takes to win in the playoffs. And so, um, you know, the Knicks, to me, Tibbs' toughness, you know, really paid off for them. And Brunson was phenomenal, again, against Mitchell. Um, but I, I think people in Cleveland, I think you got to be concerned um, about, you know, certainly got talent, but does it resonate? Can it climb? And again, it was their first crack as a group. So can't overreact too much, but, you know, just initial take. Coach, I'm going to let you excite jazz fans on Twitter because it's the narrative I've started to see around. Is Luka Doncic the player you'd be willing to trade a lot of the jazz assets for? Oh, man. You know, I think in some ways, yes. Um, Certainly from just being able to – looking at what the Jazz truly need. um, They need a point guard. (laughs) He's the best there is. Um, They need need another star. And I've always said this. One thing I'm good about Lucas is I think Lowry could fit and play with him better than maybe most other stars because he just doesn't have that usage rate um, that you see with with guys that put up the numbers he puts up. He's really efficient. So uh, I would say if there's an opportunity, you've got to pursue it because he is a difference maker, I think, in the right system with the right guys around him. Um, and it could be really, really, really intriguing. But at the same time, you know, there are – concerns because I heard Jake talking about this the other day. I listen to you guys when I can. Um, you know, the usage rate that he demands and the ball always in his hand. And so it would just have to be uh, a new situation where everything's defined. But man, generational player at the age he is, I would say that'd be pretty good. Uh, certainly take your time, <laughs> take your time looking at all that. So Tim, I was just thinking. I don't think I've ever asked you this question, so I'm going to ask because we've been we're talking about coaching and what makes a good coach and all that stuff. How much money do you make? Uh, yeah, exactly <laughs> is what I was I was going to ask. Uh, no, why? I've asked him that actually. Why did Rick Majerus not take a pro job? Right, the Bucks were interested in him at one point, I think, and probably wasn't the only one. And how would he have done as a pro coach? 
Well, he was an assistant, you know, and he got his he he got to, with the Bucks. He got to see kind of what it was like at the pro level under Don Nelson. Um, I remember when uh, there were conversations while he was at Utah about you know every summer jobs would come available in the NBA in college basketball, and during practice from time to time, you know, he'd talk about stuff and he would just throw it out there. But I'll never forget he was a uh, he was talking to or working with a guy at free throw line. And he was kind of talking to him about the fundamental of shooting free throw and kind of getting them dialed in. I can't remember exactly who it was, but I just overheard them say, you know, they want me to coach in the pros. The problem is if I did this with Carl Malone, because Carl Malone, as he told the kid, falls away from the free throw line every time he shoots it. You know, he's always, the momentum's taking him away from the hoop. He said, you know, if I held his feet to the fire and made him shoot the ball without falling backwards, they would fire me. You know, if it became contentious, I would get fired, and he would stay, and that's why I'll never coach in the NBA. So that was his, you know, I heard that from his mouth, that, you know, players could actually usurp coaches in the NBA, and he didn't like that. Um, from an X's and O's schematic standpoint, he would have been unbelievable. You know, nobody was running – um, pick and roll back then. We used to run a five-man motion. We'd have sets, but we'd run five-man motion, a lot of flare screens and pin downs. But at the end of the clock, the floor would flatten, and we'd sprint our big guy up, Billy Ack, for Andre. And, you know, Majera started to incorporate ball screens, I think, sooner or earlier again. Kind of brought him back into vogue. But he, he had a good feel for, for the game he would have struggled with the PR side. He would have struggled with the interactions with the players. Probably not as important back then, but I think it's everything now. I think that's a differentiator today in coaching as opposed to back then is being able to relate and communicate with kids. All right, there you have it. Tim Lacombe on the NBA and the Utah Jazz. Uh, he was on earlier this week with Jake and Ben. Uh, some really good insight into what's, maybe going to happen with Luka Doncic as well as uh, a story about Rick Majerus because who doesn't love one of those? Uh, we got to go take a commercial break. On the other side, we will do technical fouls, uh, rewarding people for bad behavior in sports. You are listening to The Saturday Show on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. If you're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit from the back. Because that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal foul, 69, offense. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. All right, welcome back into the Saturday show. I am Michelle Bodkin, and as you heard, it is time for technical fouls. Now, before I flip this over to Shyler, I need to give a technical foul on myself because I have been getting your name wrong all show long, and I just realized it. So. It's totally okay. <laughs> I've come to a point in my life where my name is so different that I just, like, people say things, and I'm like, you know what? That's, that's probably my, me. That's my name today. <laughs> my name is Shay today. We're going to go with it. But no, it's all good. Anyway, Shyler has a technical foul uh, that we need to go over. So right. let's hear it. Well, 
Today is the Kentucky Derby Day for those who like to watch horse racing. I am not one of those people. My sister-in-law comes from Kentucky, though, so Mm. she hosts a big Kentucky Derby party. But uh, two days ago or a day ago, a couple of days ago, one of the trainers was thrown out um, due to two of his horses that he was involved with dying. And this is two of four horses that have died in the last week. Um. Just so strange that, you know, the one time everyone in the United States gathers to watch horses race, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, they're all dying. Uh, Yeah, that feels a little excessive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look, horses are beautiful animals, uh, and I'm an animal lover, more on the dog side of it. Um, But I don't love when people mistreat animals, uh, and it sounds like maybe, maybe, maybe there's some of that going on because I don't think horses just up and die frequently. No, I don't. I don't think so. And I guess they're just still investigating it. But just what a strange way to start the Kentucky the Derby. Kentucky Derby. Uh, shrouded in a little bit of mystery. Okay, I I also have a technical foul. Um, in a way, it's kind of more sports adjacent. Uh, this has to do with Jackson Mahomes, who is, of course, Patrick Mahomes' younger brother. He was arrested Wednesday morning on a warrant for aggravated sac- sexual battery and booked in the Johnson County Jail. Um, now, the technical foul's not on Jackson Mahomes, I mean, like, he deserves one, for sure, for sure. Most definitely. Um, I, I think that goes without saying. But my technical foul actually goes to the responses to the video that was released of what got him in trouble. There, there were a lot of people saying, well, that was it. Uh, Jackson Mahomes, uh, if I go through this, hold on. Um, let's see. There's video of him... Okay, a video of him shoving a 19-year-old male waiter um, more than once and then forcibly kissed the 40-year-old female owner of the restaurant he was at. And it was this kiss that everybody was like, well, that is, that's a big deal. And this is, this is my answer to you. As someone that has recently had something like that happen to them, there is no action big, too big or too small that doesn't make you feel absolutely violated. And so, you know what, if like, I am so happy for you, if you feel like that's not a big deal, because that means that like, you haven't had someone think that they have the right to invade your space like that. But I can tell you, it's a very, very painful thing. And it leaves you questioning a lot of stuff. Um, and, and there is a little bit of a you know, I'm almost 34 years old. I'm 34 years old and people still think that they can take advantage of me. But it's very frustrating um, to be a full-grown adult and realize that there's people in this world that just think that they have a right to do certain things to you. So technical foul on you guys for thinking that this isn't a big deal because it is. It, it really, really sucks. It hurts. I hope you never have to experience it. For those that have had to experience it, I get it. I, I'm one of you. Um, and, and it is frustrating AF, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Like, um, it, it just, 
the laws don't really protect you. This owner is very lucky in that she has video proof because a lot of times this is a he said, she said type of situation. And there's just really nothing that can be done. So uh, technical foul, technical foul. Just be nicer. Just just understand just because it's not your reality. It does not mean that it's not someone else's reality. I think as a human race, we just need to get better at that. Absolutely. Well, uh, we will go ahead and wrap this up. On the other side, we will get into some of, uh, again, another mystery, I feel like. The mystery of conference realignment and media media deals, particularly relating to the Pac-12. We have an interview from Dennis Dodd that we will play for you. Of course, I have my own opinions that are very, very different from Dennis Dodd's. Uh, and we will either get into that in the next segment or the segment after that, depending on how long this all takes, you are listening to The Saturday Show on 97.5 FM. All right. Welcome back into The Saturday Show. I am Michelle Bodkin taking taking you along for this ride today. Uh, solo, Jake Hatch is on daddy duty, uh, taking care of the kiddos and cheering them on in their sports endeavors today. So it's just me and Shyler behind the glass. Uh, we had a good first half of the show, uh, got into some BYU transfer portal drama, uh, University of Utah graduation rates and statistics. Uh, we also talked a little bit about the Utah Jazz and, of course, did our technical fouls. If you missed any of that, you can find it later on in the podcast. Now we're going to turn our attention to uh, the the forever, it just feels like this is dragging on and on, media relations, uh, media uh, deals as far as the, the Pac-12 goes. Uh, there's never a dull moment, it feels like, and uh, this this week certainly fit the bill uh, once again. Uh, Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports, of course, reporting that ESPN was out of the deal. Uh, I believe that was Wednesday. Uh, Hans and Scotty had him on their show to discuss what he was hearing, and uh, later on, we'll go over what I've actually been hearing on this front, which is vastly different. Uh, but in order to compare and contrast, here is Dennis Dodd. Dennis Dodd joins us from CBS. Dennis, how are you? Hey, Dennis. I'm good. Hey, how are you guys? Great to catch up with you. It's good to catch up with you. And uh, a bit of a bombshell. I know I talked to a college administrator yesterday who's down in Phoenix. Um, there's a lot of meetings going on down there, a lot of conference meetings. The festival seems to bring everybody out of the woodworks to uh, bring everybody down in Phoenix. Uh, kind of talk us through uh, what you wrote about in terms of ESPN discussing what's going on with officials from the Big 12. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it, what I wrote is uh, it appears that uh, ESPN is out as a primary rights holder for the Pac-12 deal with the caveat in the second paragraph that never say never. Uh, they could be in line for a smaller package, whatever that means, because that that definition is not even really out there because we don't know what a primary package would be without USC and UCLA. Uh, I think I pointed out in the piece a lot of that would be the Oregon and or Washington games uh, or those two together. But, again, that remains to be seen. So, and the significance is, obviously, the worldwide league of sports. Where does the Pac-12 go from here? And I don't know if I have those answers. 
You know, Dennis, it's always interesting when obviously you're a prominent writer and you write for a huge publication and it's seen by millions. And you instantly get the doubters out there and people that will fire out and refute. And The Athletic fired out a tweet and said, actually, ESPN has met as recently as today. How do you, when you see that, how do you internalize that? How do you deal with some of those people that fire out these quick retorts? Uh, I stand by my reporting. Um, Look, this could change in a heartbeat. Uh, You know, following this is like trying to catch uh, minnows with your bare hands. So, so it it is what it is. It's, It's part of the business. And... You know, as long as there's Twitter, there's going to be this, so you have to have a thick skin. So where is the Pac-12 right now? I mean, what uh, what options are available for this conference? If ESPN is out and they stick to their guns that they are out, what does the future hold here? Um, they're uh, officially, they haven't moved off saying they expect to have a deal uh, late spring, early summer. They stayed on that lately. Um, you know, I think, as I said in the piece, it was industry speculation that NBC could be a possibility in the form of USA Network, which has a broad, long history of sports coverage and wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But I don't know that. Uh, that's informed speculation. We still have the... the uh, streamers out there, the big streamers. But at the beginning of the week, I was told by by a source who's really involved in this that they have the Pac twelve quote unquote has nothing. Um, you know, what, what they're they are telling their constituents they're going to put they have something together and that's what I also wrote in the piece that they inside the room this week they remain confident. They're going to have a major um uh, platform carry their tier one prop, their tier one games. So that that is their official stance right now, and, and to their mind, nothing has changed. Hmm. You know, Dennis, that that initial press conference that we got with George Kliavkov in the Pac-12, he came out firing and talking about the Big 12 that was lobbering grenades and that maybe they'd go shopping, and it felt like there was a bit of a rivalry budding in that moment and since we've seen the big 12 continually throwing out new ideas creative innovative stuff uh taking games possibly to mexico and all of these things these reports how much do you think the big 12 is out there actively trying to lob the grenades and take the pac-12 down Oh, I don't think that's it at all. I think this would have happened if this situation had never developed. Um, I think that's a separate discussion. I think Brett Yormark is a marketer at heart. He has ideas. He's activated on those ideas. And I don't think he's weaponizing these things against the Pac-12. Everybody in the industry is sort of marveling at what he's done. Uh, Next summer, Rucker Park exhibitions in basketball in the heart of New York basketball in Rucker Park. Um, his head of uh, basketball, John Williams, threw out there recently that next summer or before next season in 24, fall of 24, they're going to have a series of preseason games involving 
big 12 teams that don't play each other twice. It's the only league out there that now has a true round robin. That's not going to be the case with 12 teams. So that that would, in essence, make up for the lost, I guess, net, NET, the net rankings value of the SEC Challenge. So, you know, that's interesting. He had he sold courtside seats to the dismay of us reporters at the Big 12 tournament because he moved us upstairs uh, for $1,000 a seat. And according to him, sold all, oh, what was the number? Uh, 250, I think it was, but don't hold me to that. But, and then had built in the back of the house sort of like a speakeasy for those high rollers that could take, go and relax and eat and drink before and after games. So it's stuff like that. I will tell you this, the ADs absolutely love it. He's, uh, he, uh, he brought value, as I said, to the conference. He's got ideas, some, some that I know about, some that I don't, some that I can't write about because I don't have it firmed up. That will curl your hair. I mean, it's, it's, huh. he comes from that area of marketing and television. You know, he wants the Big 12, these are his words, to be the, the crossroads of culture and sports. And he, so far, he's delivering. So, conversely, have you heard any private um, dissatisfaction or unease from Pac-12 athletic directors with George Klavkov? Uh I, I think the best way to put it is um, maybe uneasiness and patience uh, by some. I mean, look, nobody's broken ranks. Yeah. They are, they are standing by George, who has told them, like I, like I just pointed out, we – we're going to have a deal, and it's going to be for enough money for everybody to stay, you know, stay together. So they are, you know, because it's so long, we'll wait and see what that number is before they make a decision. Um, and I think there's some, I don't know what the word is, um, you know, within the Big 12 telling them, we know they're interested in those four four corner schools, you know, you're either in or you're out. It's getting to that time because the thing is, we're now in the tenth, tenth month of this since the uh, since the Pac-12 opened their early window in August. And you know, look, guys, you're either in or you're out because when you get that number and it's not satisfactory, we may not be here. I think that's part of the vibe going out from the Big 12 right now. But again, never say never. Um, you know, the it, thing may it thing may shake loose tomorrow, but uh, I think that's where both sides are right now. And I'll I'll say this: I think that we haven't talked about the possibility that no one talks about these days that they the Big Twelve stays stays like it is at twelve, and you know the Pac twelve goes ahead with ten, and then considers obviously expansion after that. But uh, you know that's a possibility too. Dennis, I'm curious, your interactions with George Klyovkov, and if they are few or, or none, just your insight into his ability and his his tools and and his reach. Um, I, I guess I just kind of want your opinion on how capable you feel he is at this very tough this very tough deal that he's currently trying to organize. I think the biggest piece of this, whether it was George Kleyakov's fault, quote-unquote, or not, was the Big 12 jumping ahead in line and getting a deal done last October 31st 
the head of the Pac-12. Again, whether that's Pac-12 fault, whether that was Brett Yormark being aggressive and, and mobilizing, whether it's a combination of all those, that's what's that's where we're, we're at, why we're at. Because I, I figured this out in the last few months. But the, when the ESPN knew it was going to lose the Big Ten for the first time in 40 years, it created a giant programming hole. They never, never not had Big Ten. Well, Brent Dormark realized that and, you know, got together with obviously ESPN and Fox to fill some of those programming holes at what is a cheaper rate. For ESPN, now the trade-off is it ain't the Big Ten. These Big 12 teams aren't the Big Ten. We know that. But they've got programming for a number that is satisfactory to both parties, ESPN and, and, uh, and the Big 12. And so then not only was the money in question for the Pac-12, so the window. Like, wherever you play, talk about the Pac-12. They're going to be going head-to-head with um, big new Fox at noon uh, Eastern. And obviously on the West Coast, uh, there wouldn't be any games there usually. Um, 3.30, SEC, National SEC game. Same for the Big Ten. Same for the Big 12. Uh, uh, prime time, 7.30, o'clock Eastern. So what's left where they can maximize their dollars, talking about the Pac-12? Well, late night, uh, Pac-12 after dark, which was so criticized under Larry Scott. That's where the hole was seen. But the first time in an available Power 5 conference that this all started, the latest realignment in 2010, they don't need it. There's not a network out there that needs the Pac-12. And again, I'm not saying they're not going to get a deal done. Hmm. I'm saying their leverage is diminished because of what I just said, um, that other people are calling the shots instead of the, instead of the Pac-12 itself um, right now. Wow. Dennis Dodd joining us from CBS Sports. All right, so Dennis, let me throw a hypothetical. You're George Kalafkoff, and you walk in front of your presidents and athletic directors in the Pac-12, and you said, okay, look, I got you a number that's equivalent or even slightly better than the Big 12. We get to control our start times, but our Tier 1 rights and majority games are going to be streamed. Is that a deal breaker for those presidents and athletic directors? That's a question for them. I, 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 that's one of the key issues. I don't know if I can answer that. I think that's something they got to discuss with their boards, um, with their people on campus. Hey, look, here's the number. We're, we're, beyond, we're more or close to what the Big 12 got. But it's on a platform where there's, there is no channel surfing on Saturday. You know, to, to get the streaming, you got to get out of linear. you got to fire up your, your Netflix or whatever it is, call it up, sometimes having to sign in. It's about three or four steps. You guys know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, then, and then maybe hope it doesn't buffer because this has hardly been tried before. Um, Amazon's in with the NFL. Okay, those ratings fell every week, I think. Um, Apple Plus is doing some major league baseball. But week to week, major college football, if you're 30 seconds behind, people will turn that stuff off. Um, or, or it will give them a reason not to watch. Hmm. So it's those kinds of things 
that get into all this. Um, is, is the number alone enough to keep them together in that scenario? I, I don't know that. I don't know. Dennis, this just makes me think about ESPN's situation as well. It feels like every time I look at Twitter, they're laying off another 1,000 or 1,000-plus at ESPN. How healthy or unhealthy is ESPN right now? Well, this is not the first time they or other media companies have gone through this. And it, it occurs to me that, look, this may be why the big the Pac-12 has, has been delayed in their decision. Maybe they're being told, hey, let us let this shake out until we stabilize what it looks like after these layoffs. We've got to keep our powder dry for the NBA negotiations, which is a priority over the Pac-12, and let's see where we are. And that and, – and the Pac-12 would absolutely say yes, absolutely, whatever you need. And then they, you know, then they get a deal. But no, I don't look. It's I work for companies that have layoffs. It's almost the way of the world, and that's economy everywhere. So I'm not going to disparage ESPN. It, it, it is what it is. It's also the industry leader, and anything we want to talk about regarding sports, they're still number one by far. Hmm. What uh, I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of conversation, and I think people just naturally assume that San Diego State will find its way into the Pac-12. But could the Big 12 come calling? And is there conversations between that conference and San Diego State? Yeah, it's my opinion that San Diego State and the Big 12 would be a fallback for the Big 12. It wouldn't be positioned that way, but it would be for whatever reason uh, the Pac-12 isn't available. Um, draw your own conclusions that um, Brett Yormark wants to be in all four time zones. Uh, if he does that, he would be the only conference to do it because even the Big Ten is missing the mountain time zone. Um, the Big 12 is there with BYU. But he wants to do that. He wants to be coast to coast on TV. Um, but um, no, I think, look, I think that, uh, that that's a possibility. But uh, I, I don't think it's likely. Maybe it is. I don't know. I, I, I've already written that, you know, San Diego State first discussion is about the Pac-12. For the Big 12, I think it would be a fallback addition because I don't know. Again, I'm speculating. I don't know if those Big 12 presidents are sitting there going, okay, can we get pro rata, which is equal value for San Diego State? And they probably wouldn't get that. They'd probably get much more, much less than a full share. And then forget about, or don't forget about, having to talk about traveling from Orlando, Florida to San Diego, from literally coast to coast, uh, Morgantown, West Virginia to San Diego. And unless you have a partner or partners to close that gap, that might make it undoable. Hmm. Dennis, what are your thoughts on the Deion Sanders experiment and just in keeping in line with the Pac-12, what is he doing for the Pac-12 right now? And and maybe it's ability to be a part of a TV deal. Does it turn the needle or does it move the needle at all? Uh, I did a story last week. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a notes package in the league. It was before their spring game, which was uh, Bafo. We all know what happened. It was great. Um, you know, great television. Uh, the only spring game on ESPN, we know that. 
saying that I asked George that Kayakov that very question in December at a conference in Las Vegas. I said, but Dion's hiring itself brings value to the conference. And he said, absolutely. And so the lead note was, uh, as good as he is, his presence alone does not do that. Um, you know, in fact, it's, look, it's, it's the brand together in the conference that get paid. It's not the coach at the time. But having said all that, it's been nothing. I would say, well, not nothing, but mostly positive. I mean, now this, you know, him, I don't know, running these players off, is that the best way to put it? You know, we're waiting to see how that goes, how he replaces those guys in the portal. And I was, I, I tried this week here in uh, Scottsdale. I, I got him alone and asked him if he had a few minutes, and he blew me off, hmm. accompanied by his bodyguard. And I, well, I tried. Wow. Um, because, you know, he, I think he's accountable to someone more than his YouTube videos and, you know, a structured spring game where everybody's fawning over him. So sooner or later, those questions are going to have to be answered. So, um, no, but it's been uh, Colorado has completely transformed itself uh, lately, I think, as a, as a football brand by getting Dion because he, think about this, I, I keep saying he's the only guy that I know that's ever been this person. Hall of Famer, media icon, uh, NFL analyst, uh, a guy who absolutely doesn't need the money and is coaching his son. There's nothing anybody like that. Jim Harbaugh's not that guy. Um, you know, he, he can walk in a room and not be recognized. Dion would light up a room. And so I think it's a fascinating story. We'll see where it goes. Um, and best of luck to the Buffs. I hope they get good again. College football is better when they're good. Do you think that people and other coaches are watching this huge turnover? And if it works, that you'll see this same philosophy employed? And I think we're all ready to it to a certain extent, just not as brazen as what Dion's doing. But do you think we're heading down to that path where where coaches are like, all right, well, if kids can leave and look for NIL money, then I'm going to push them out the door if they're not getting the job done? Yeah, I mean, that's that's happened way before NIL. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Uh, we just know it. We just know about it now because the money is quote unquote a lot of it above board. But I had, I, I asked somebody that this week, and I can't remember who. But that, that person said, "Okay, there's a spectrum between Clemson and Dabo Swinney, who does basically nothing in the portal, recruits high school players and develops them, and Colorado." And he said, "Most of us are in the middle." So I think that answers your question. Are more people going to do that? I, I think to his credit, you know, until he is stopped by NCAA legislation or whatever, Keon has exposed a loophole in a, in a very unstable NIL rule. We know that. Um, the NCAA just basically forfeited, you know, its ability to oversee that sort of stuff on July 1st, 2021, when they, you know, they put in uh, the quote-unquote interim policy. Well, on that day... We none of us knew what the word collective even meant. Now look at what it's become. So uh, he has uh, exploited as a as a loaded word, but taken advantage of a loophole within a rule to to do this. Well, Dennis, we appreciate it. Always good catching up with you um, and uh, and asking or answering these questions, man. It was it was a lot of fun, and and uh, look forward to further conversations down the line. All right, thanks, guys. Hey, by the way, Matt uh, had an extended conversation with uh, Kalani. It was great. Talked to Tom Homo. They're so excited. Um, 
Cougar Nation should be really, really excited about this because they're they're all in. I'm doing, as many people are, I'm doing a, a story on the new four coming into the Big 12 and what that means. So it, it was really nice sitting down with Kalani. All right. You heard from Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports on with Hans and Scotty earlier this week, uh, talking about, you know, his perception, what he's been been told, what he's hearing as far as conference realignment uh, and this ongoing, I don't know, feud with the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and what's going on with the Pac-12's negotiations. I have some thoughts on that. Um, obviously, I have been trying to dig and, and figure things out from the Pac-12 side, from Utah's side. Uh, and if I'm being perfectly honest and frank, what I'm hearing does not match up or align at all with Dennis and what, what he's consistently been reporting, uh, which, of course, makes this whole situation very interesting. I will go ahead and get into that on the other side. We do need to take a break here. You are listening to the Saturday sh- uh, to the Saturday show on 90, 97 or 97.5 DKSL Sports Zone. Okay, welcome back into the Saturday show. You're listening to Michelle Bodkin here, flying solo. Jake Hatch is on daddy duty today. And behind the glass, I have Shyler uh, keeping me on track as, as much as possible. Uh, the last segment we... Uh, Listen to an interview that Hans and Scotty did earlier in the week with Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports, who reported on the latest that he was hearing uh, regarding Pac-12 media negotiations. Um, He, of course, reported that ESPN is out in those negotiations. Uh, I wanted to jump in and talk about, you know, some of the things that I've been hearing uh, and not it honestly hasn't really changed that much from my my perspective. Um, it, I was on Jake and Ben yesterday and, you know, they kind of asked me about what's going on. And by by comparison, the, the interesting thing is the day that Dennis Dodd reported that ESPN was out, I had heard, I don't know, maybe a couple hours before, maybe the day before, that from from the people that I'm talking to, their understanding is that the linear part of the Pac-12's deal is done or is close enough to done that that's not really what they're worrying about and concerned about. So that doesn't exactly match up with ESPN being out. Um, it, it's... I, could they be? I, I guess so. That's just not what I'm hearing. Uh, it Everything I've heard is ESPN is very much involved, very much wants to get a deal done with the Pac-12, and it sounds like it pretty much is done. Now, what the Pac-12 does seem to be waiting on, at least from what I can gather, is the streaming end of it, the Apple TV, the Amazon TV And that makes sense. Uh, Again, we are dealing with something that doesn't have a precedent. There there is no, we've already drawn up a contract for this. Uh, We have prior knowledge of how this works. This is a new arena that both sides are entering into, and it involves a lot of lawyers. And when you have a lot of lawyers involved, it takes a lot of time to hash things out. Uh, And so that's kind of my understanding of why things are taking so long. Um, Some of the conversations that just surround this whole topic 
are interesting uh, from the standpoint of, you know, where where people got in their minds that there was ever a timeline uh, that that the the clock's ticking on the Pac-12, uh, as many have kind of come out and pointed out and said, uh, you know, fairly recently. In a normal year, in a normal situation, the Pac-12 probably wouldn't start renegotiating this contract until, like, now. Uh, they just opted to get an earlier start on that. And so how that somehow translates to it has it has to be done right now, there's a timeline, and they're running out of time, when reality is if they hadn't chosen to go with it earlier, they wouldn't have even been starting talking about this until like now-ish, and the contract runs up, of course, next year. So it's just a a lot of interesting things to keep track of. Um, Again, on Jake and Ben, I was pretty harsh on Dodd. I I just, the, the sourcing bothers me on that. And, you know, if he wanted to have a conversation with me and actually explain to me what all that means i am more than open to hear it um but i just don't know how you can write an article about pac-12 media negotiations and then cite your source as a big 12 administrator why why would a big 12 administrator know what's going on in in that negotiation room it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me from the school of common thought or common sense it just doesn't make sense uh, that anyone in the Big 12 would really have any kind of working knowledge of that unless, which is not what's been reported and not what's being said, uh, this administrator said that they have knowledge that a Pac-12 school or administrator is working with the Big 12 to join the Big 12. But that's not what was said. That's not what's being reported. And so I just don't know how or why that makes any kind of sense. Um I do want to move on a little bit here. Um, Oh, actually, and just one more point, too. Again, it's about listening to who actually is involved in these negotiations. And last week, Jake and I had athletic director Mark Harlan on with the University of Utah, and he brought up the Pac-12 media negotiations, that they're going just fine, and they should hopefully have something soon either later this spring or this summer, which seems to be kind of the the benchmark that the Pac-12 has been talking about as of late. I know that's been pushed back several times before. Again, negotiating with lawyers, super fun. Uh, but it just kind of goes back to that was maybe five days before what Dennis Dodd reported. And I don't, I, I, I don't know. I just don't again, see things changing that drastically. And again, especially from the standpoint of a Big 12 administrator. I just don't know why you would know that. Um, To move on, uh, let's take a little look here at RSL. They have a game today against Houston at 6.30 p.m. You can watch it on Apple TV. And of course, I believe listen to it here. Um, uh, They ended up in a draw last week with Seattle, uh, which did extend their unbeaten streak against Seattle to in Utah to 13 games. Interestingly enough, the last time the Sounders beat Utah in Utah occurred in 2011. Um, it, so, I mean, here's the thing. It seems like 
Real Salt Lake is getting back on track. Uh, maybe still not quite where they want to be. Once again, they have a great opportunity today with Houston, uh, who sits at four, one, and three. Utah or Salt Lake is uh, at three, one, and five. Houston is favored to win. Um, but again, there's always, you know, a possibility and and an opportunity to continue to improve. And RSL certainly needs to continue moving in in that direction. Uh, I also wanted to talk about uh, Utah Lacrosse getting a big win yesterday against Beller. Let's see. Let me make sure I can say this right. Beller Marine. Uh, to move on to the ASON Championship, this is the second year in a row that the Utes are moving on to the championship, the conference championship. Uh, they beat Bell Marine uh, 17 to 14, and they just barely found out that they will be playing against Air Force uh, tomorrow, Sunday, for the ASON Championship. Lots of good things happening on the lacrosse front. Uh, they raked in a whole bunch of awards. This past week, uh, freshman of the year, coach of the year. Uh, I'm trying to remember some of the other ones. Uh, They have, again, academics, uh, an all-academic team uh, that was comprised of several Utes. So just a lot of good things going for for the Utes in the lacrosse round, or realm, excuse me. Let's get Shiler's opinion on some of the things going on here today with Utah. Utah, not Utah Athletics, is in University of Utah Athletics, but just athletics here in the state of Utah. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, so much is it. This is the time of year where things seem to like slow down, but they're mm-hmm. the sports that we don't hear a ton about. You know, you've got RSL that's hopefully coming back. They started off the season kind of rough. Um, so that's exciting, and it, it's exciting for the Utes for their lacrosse team to go the second year row. That's like a huge, a huge deal. And it's cool that we have a lacrosse team in the state of Utah that's actually being recognized. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I think it should be pointed out and noted that Utah lacrosse has only been a Division One program for four years. So oh, wow. to already kind of be at the top of your conference, um, you know, just four years in. Is pretty impressive, and and you have a second year coach leading the way, and he's been named coach of the year twice in a row. So that's crazy. Yeah, so it's huge accomplishment. Huge accomplishment. Uh, That's not that's not easy to do on any level. Uh, I think shout outs to Utah tennis. Also, Um, they had a couple of individuals qualify uh, to go to the NCAA's. Uh, again, this is kind of unprecedented success for them. Uh, they share, they took a piece of the Pac-12 regular season title. That's something they've never done before. Um, at least on the University of Utah front, a lot of good, different, kind of new, big accomplishments are happening there. Uh, again, RSL seems to be getting back on track. I. That's the hope. That's the hope. <laughs> Hope springs eternal uh, in in the realm of soccer. And then, of course, again, we're just sitting here waiting on media negotiations. Uh, Shyler, have you followed that at all? 
Honestly, so I come from a BYU background, mm-hmm. and when that all went down and everyone, like you were saying, there was never really this timeline. And from the, like, from my perspective, I was like, oh, like when you said that, I was like, oh, I had no idea that they probably wouldn't have even started until now. I thought it was something that needed to be done, that needed to be, you know, figured out, and it was, like, dragging on. So it's interesting to hear that, like, no, it probably wouldn't have, like, if they didn't decide to start early, like, they wouldn't have been starting until now anyways. So it's it's just crazy. <laughs> A crazy thing. Uh, it's, I think, I think the big thing with the media negotiations that's been interesting, especially this go around versus some of the other times we've seen this happen is the availability of social media. Um, you know, Utah and Colorado make the jump to the Pac-12. Like social media was there. Twitter was there. But like that just wasn't really like a place where you would go and voice your opinions. And I think a lot of what's fueling some of the vitriol uh, with it is the fact that fans have an availability to chime in on this and and it it just it is a very like as I'm learning and kind of digging into that realm of things like these negotiations are complicated like they're not straightforward they're not easy I keep saying if you hear something that just seems like super straightforward it's probably the wrong answer because like it just doesn't feel like these things are ever super duper straightforward. Um, you know, there there's just a lot that goes into making these contracts and deciding what values are and getting everybody to agree on it. I think something else that maybe should be pointed out, I know we're jumping around a lot in this segment because uh, I just have so many thoughts, so That's many good. things to think about. Uh, but something else I think to consider, you know, when we talk about the, the media negotiations, at least on the Pac-12 side of things, I don't know if this is necessarily everywhere else, but the presidents make the call. This isn't on the athletic directors, um, depending on the relationship between the president and the athletic, athletic director, they may work together on it, but the people kind of calling the shots in this are, are the presidents it's coming from the academic side it's not coming from the athletic side or the athletic side and uh i see a lot of misconceptions with that and that george kleofkoff actually controls the narrative in this and he really doesn't he just goes out finds possible deals presents it to the presidents the presidents say yay or nay on it And then he goes back out. So it's not like even he really actually has a whole lot of control over what goes on. This really is the academic side. It's the it's the presidents that are getting together that are deciding, you know, what they want. And that's partially why, again, I've been talking a lot about the academic side of athletics and why Utah's been making such a push on their end to showcase that, yes, we're really good on the field, but we're also really good in the classroom because, in this league and in the Big Ten um, and a little bit in the ACC as well, academics are highly valued. And that's a large part of what makes those conferences those conferences. Uh, it's not simply just what you do on the field. It's what you do in the classroom and uh, the research dollars that those conferences bring in uh, is a big piece of the pie and is much more is it it 
weighs a lot more into the moves that they make when it does come to TV contracts and some of that kind of stuff and maybe elsewhere, some of the other conferences. And I'm not saying that is it's a bad thing, a good thing or a bad thing. It's just people have different priorities and different things that they look at uh, that, you know, one side maybe doesn't consider, doesn't think about because that's just not really on their agenda. They're, they're looking at other things that are important to them. Uh, and so I, I think that's also part of where some of these arguments are, are coming from. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully this is coming to a wrap because I really don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's it's been a long time in the coming. Like it's it's been so long. Uh, I just want every- a new topic of <laughs> a new thing to argue and be mean to each other about <laughs> something we don't all know the details to that we all think we know the details to absolutely uh okay uh we are going to take our last break and uh wrap up here you are listening to the saturday show on 97.5 the ksl sports zone We are back to wrap this show up. You are listening to the Saturday show on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Of course, I'm Michelle Bodkin here flying solo today. No Jake Hatch. He is out watching his children compete in their sports interests today, uh, doing daddy duty. I do have Shyler behind the glass with me and uh She's been keeping me on track and and having some fun chiming in on some things. It's been a good show overall. Uh, We've gone into a whole bunch of different topics, whether it's been the Utah Jazz, uh, technical fouls as per usual, uh, the transfer portal for BYU, uh, Utah academics in the sports arena, and of course, a lot of discussion about the the impending Pac-12 media deal that just seems to not want to go away and bring us all the drama. Uh, We got some RSL in, some Utah lacrosse and Utah tennis, uh, just kind of covering all the bases here on Saturday. I'm curious, Shyler, what was your favorite part of the show today? Honestly, I just really loved hearing your perspective on the media deal. I think that was a perspective that not a, I don't know that not enough people hear. I think hearing that like it is so so much more complicated. There are so many more people involved. It's not as simple as approaching ESPN or Fox or someone and saying like we want to work this out. There are hundreds and hundreds of people involved, thousands of people probably, and it's gonna take a while to make sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed to make sure that everything works. Um. So I really enjoyed listening to your perspective and just getting to listen to all of your thoughts on the Utah sports and the sports world in general. Well, thank you. Uh, that that has been something I've tried to work really hard on on sourcing and getting good information on. It's not easy to get good information on that. And even though I feel pretty good about the information I've got on it, there is also a probability or a possibility that some of it or possibly all of it could be wrong because that's just how that's just how these things kind of go. One thing I think we should mention on air that you mentioned to me off air, uh, Shyler actually just barely graduated from college the other day. So congratulations to Shyler. Again, we've been talking a lot of academics and uh, 
tell tell everybody what you graduated in. So I got my degree in communications with an emphasis in journalism and sports broadcasting from BYU. So here we are. Here we are. Now now we're in the real world. No more school. No more school. It is a strange feeling when you wake. Like I woke up Monday morning and my friends are all in like spring semester. And I was like, I'm going to go for a run. Like I don't have to worry <laughs> about that. No homework. I get to watch Gilmore Girls and enjoy my runs and have a good time. That's so funny. I've actually been rewatching Gilmore Girls too. <laughs> it is it's the best rewatch show. It, it Maybe is. Maybe after The Office. Those are like I, you got to bounce between them. Then <laughs> they've got very different vibes. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've absolutely been doing that. Uh, again, congratulations on the graduation. That's a lot of hard work that I know you put in. And, uh, you know, try to not panic too much. There's going to be like a couple of weeks I, after you graduate where you're like, crap, what's due? Where do I need to be? And then you're like, oh, yeah, I don't have to do that anymore. It is. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely one of those things you're like, oh, I am an, a full-blown, I've always called them full-blown oh, full adults. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not an adult. I'm married. We live in an apartment. We have two dogs. I am not a full-blown adult. But now I'm like what I would consider that full-blown adult. I've got a job. <laughs> I've got a degree. And I'm like, oh, my life is still not at that point where I'd say I'm a full-blown adult. But here we are. Trust me. I Again, I'm like pushing into mid-30s. And even I have moments where I'm like, dang it. I actually am the adultier adult in this situation. <laughs> I don't want to be. Um, okay. One more thing that I want to cover before we sign off. Um, some exciting news for one of our colleagues here at KSL Sports. Mary Lou's Cook is going to be representing the state of Utah in the Miss Utah USA contest in July. How fun. I know. So she originally came to us from West Palm Beach, Florida. She's competed in several pageants uh, in the Florida circuit. Um, Let's see. Miss Fort Lauderdale in 2016. Miss Boca Raton in 2017. Miss Miami Beach in 2018. Miss South Florida in 2019. And then Miss Miami between August of 2020 and March 2022. Now she's going to be representing us. I, I think that's so exciting. I love that she has this thing that she loves to do and that she still has the ability and the opportunity to pursue it. Um, we're so excited for you, Mary Luz, and we hope that, you know, things go well and, and that you get to push this as far as you want to push it. Um, we love seeing you, obviously, on our airwaves, but the this is a a different new fun thing that we kind of get to watch you do so congratulations on getting the nod for that and uh we'll all be watching intently yeah congrats okay well that is going to do it for us today on behalf of jake who is not here i am michelle bodkin and shyler behind the glass you have been listening to the saturday show on 97.5 the ksl sports zone A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. 
I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.